Let's pray together. Father, by your grace alone, many of us here this morning or listening online have a story like that. We were in darkness, we loved darkness, and you called us out of our darkness into marvelous light. We were lost and didn't even know how lost we were, and you sought and found us. We were blind and you opened up our eyes. We were dead in trespasses and sins and you gave us new life. You've done everything through Christ for us. Everything necessary to redeem sinners like us to yourself. I pray for anyone who's here or listening that hasn't experienced that miracle, hasn't trusted in Christ to save from him or his or her sins, or that even today you would do those miracles we just mentioned of regeneration, of redemption, that you would bring them to yourself. Lord, you said... Um, that it, without faith it is impossible to please you, that the one who would come to you must believe that you are who you really are and that you're the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so that is our desire to seek you this morning. We want to hear your voice through your word. There's so many things that would distract us from that burdens we're carrying or thoughts that are straying, whatever it might be, I pray you would graciously overcome those distractions so that we might hear and understand your word today. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Last Sunday we looked at the blessedness, the true and lasting happiness of those whose sins are forgiven and who are counted righteous in God's sight. Our text for today continues to clarify who is it that enjoys the blessing of being fully acquitted and fully accepted by God. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 4 as we continue our study in this New Testament letter. Romans 4 is an extended treatment of Abraham's relationship with God. Abraham is called the friend of God three times in the Bible, so he was obviously in good standing with the Lord. But how did he come to experience that relationship? And Paul has already told us it wasn't because of Abraham's works. It was by faith. And this morning's passage rules out two other possible reasons insisting that the only way Abraham or anyone else is right in God's sight is by faith alone. So verse 9 starts with a question. 
is this blessing, the blessing he just talked about in verse 6, 7, and 8, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? In other words, is the blessing of being counted righteous and not having sins counted against us only available to Abraham's physical descendants? Is it limited to those who are ethnically Jewish and have been circumcised as an outward sign of belonging to God's covenant people? Or are people from other ethnic groups, which I think is just about all of us, who have not been circumcised, who haven't had that ritual performed, included as well. And none of us were thinking about that question this week. But it was a huge issue in the early years of the Christian church. And so Acts 15.1 says this. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless... You are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. You cannot be saved. This is not just some nice advice suggesting it would be a good idea for Gentiles to get circumcised. It is saying people like us who aren't ethnically Jewish can't be rescued from sin and accepted by God unless we take part in that religious ceremony. Or go to Galatians chapter 6, or chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to what has been preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. The one and only gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as you keep reading the book of Galatians, Paul is calling out a so-called gospel that says Christ plus. Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus obeying the law is required. These false teachers were saying believing in Jesus is necessary, but it is not enough. You need to believe in Christ and observe the ritual of circumcision if you want to be right with God and belong to his people. So does a person have to be circumcised to be a recipient of God's Blessing, And we've just seen some people are saying yes. The blessing of God's forgiveness and belonging to God's people only belong to those who are circumcised. So Paul asks some questions in verse 9 and 10 back in Romans 4. 
Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Answer, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So the answer is pretty obvious. If you're reading along in the book of Genesis, you find the verse about faith being credited to Abraham as righteousness in chapter 15. And it is not until chapter 17, which is 14 years later, that he is circumcised. In other words, the ritual of circumcision had nothing to do with being counted righteous before God. Circumcision did not contribute anything to Abraham's standing with God. Abraham was not more justified after circumcision, and he was not less justified before he observed this ritual. He was fully justified by faith alone apart from circumcision. Well, Paul applies that to Gentiles in verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. Why? So that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. So addressing Gentiles, uncircumcised people, saying, we now belong to God's, or to Abraham's family and God's covenant people, not because of the outward rite of circumcision, but by faith, just like Abraham. So Galatians and Romans have a lot of overlap, and let's flip back over to Galatians. This is something similar to what he says in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the nations, the ethnic groups by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, Heirs according to promise. And then back in Romans 4, verse 12, he addresses those who are Jewish and that he might become the father of, uh, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. In other words, if you are from a Jewish background, it's not your circumcision that entitles you to belong to God's people. Um, in Galatians, he'll talk about that. Again, Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith in Christ. Or excuse me, faith 
working through love. And then in chapter 6, verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So circumcision by itself does not and cannot make things right with God. It's about following the footsteps of Abraham's faith, the kind of faith he had before he was circumcised. So faith is what matters. Being a new creation is what matters. This miracle of being a new creation, God does, and not the outward circumcision uh, or outward ritual circumcision. So again, none of us were worried about whether circumcision was part of being accepted by God this morning. But there is a parallel with baptism. Virtually all churches practice baptism in some way. And so it might be helpful to clarify what role it has in our relationship with God. So here are three examples for us to think through. Okay? The Bereans. Remember, the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians, or, yeah, Thessalonians, because they diligently searched the scriptures to see if the things spoken were so. So here's three examples that I've come across, and I want you to just think biblically how these examples work in answering the question, what's the relationship between baptism and a right relationship with God? We've already said circumcision isn't the thing. And now I'm asking that question in three different ways about where does baptism fit. So first example is after a funeral, I asked the pastor if I could ask him a question. He said yes. And I said, you mentioned twice that so-and-so is in heaven. We know that so-and-so is in heaven because of her baptism. So, so how does that work? And he replied, we believe that baptism, baptism is when we are born again into God's family, receive God's forgiveness, and become a member of his church. So do you notice anything missing in that response? He never even mentioned Jesus. He never said anything about the death of Christ taking away our sin or trusting in him to be saved. So I got the impression he believed that a religious ceremony by itself is all you need to be accepted by God. You don't necessarily have to talk about Jesus. You don't have to necessarily know anything about his death on the cross as a substitute for sin. You don't have to trust in Christ specifically or consciously. It, it's just this rite of baptism is enough. Second example, when people share their testimonies in a membership class, it's not uncommon to hear I got baptized at age 7 or 10 or 12. Those seem to be the top three. But I wasn't a believer yet. It wasn't until several years later that I really trusted Christ. So what was their status with God in those years between their baptism and genuine faith? 
if, God forbid, they had died during that time, would they have gone to heaven simply because they had been baptized? Third example. The Lord brought me to himself when I was in high school. But I was not baptized until I was in college almost five years later because I just didn't know what the Bible taught about the importance of baptism as a public testimony of faith in Christ. So was I more justified after I got baptized? Was I less justified before I was baptized? And the answer to both those questions is no. Because we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We are fully acquitted and fully accepted by trusting Christ apart from any religious ceremonies. Baptism, circumcision, altar calls, any of those. Faith in Christ is what matters. None of those ultimately matter in a right standing with God. So back to Romans 4. Paul has said that we are not justified, we're not counted righteous in God's sight by human works or by religious ceremonies. And in the next verses, he rules out that anyone could be accepted by God on the basis of the law. So back in Romans 4, 13 through 15. For the promise of Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is also no violation. So you may remember back in Romans chapter 2, we saw in verse 17... If you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law. So there are obviously some people that are putting their confidence in their ability, supposedly ability, <laughs> to obey the law of Moses. Just Let's just say shorthand, Ten Commandments. Keep the Ten Commandments. So Paul's already touched on relying on the law as your way to be accepted with God. He says... Remember back in chapter 3, 19 and 20, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So Paul has a few more points to make about keeping the law to be accepted by God. First, The law had absolutely nothing to do with Abraham's right standing before God. The law was given over 400 years after Abraham. And he makes that point in Galatians as well. So go to Galatians. This is chapter 3. Galatians three seventeen. What I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later 
does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. Same kind of language used in Romans 4. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Verse 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. So if there was such a thing as keeping the Ten Commandments gets you eternal life, then, yeah, that's the way to God. Keep the law. Think of the rich young ruler. Thought he did until God or Jesus pointed out, oh, you really haven't kept the first commandment. Anyway, sorry, a lot of this is off the cuff. 21, 22. Okay, 22. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So again, two ways to try to get to God. Rule keeping, keeping laws, Ten Commandments, doomed, because <laughs> you're not going to make it, or promises, grace, faith, Christ, two opposite ways. So Abraham was counted righteous by believing a promise, not by keeping the law. Second, the law isn't the way to experience God's blessings. Instead, it brings God's wrath. That's what he says in Verse 15. John Stott said, God's law demands obedience. We all fail to obey the law, therefore we are under God's wrath. God's grace makes promises which are believed by faith and we receive his blessing. What God said to Abraham was not obey the law and I will bless you but I will bless you, believe my promise. And again, I want to go back to Galatians as a commentary on some of this. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Why? For it is written, cursed is Everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. 100% obedience, 100% of the law, 100% of the time, or curse. Now that no one is justified that way by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So again, again all these overlaps, promise, faith, blessings of Abraham, it's all faith in Christ. It's not law, circumcision, works. 
Paul gives us two reasons why God designed a relationship with him to be on the basis of faith alone. So back to Romans. We're done with Galatians for a while, so you can let your finger come out if you were worried about going back to Galatians again. So two reasons. Why did God make it by faith? Faith alone and not any other way. So verse 16 says, For this reason, it is by faith. In order that it may be in accordance with grace. So he tells us why. Faith is in accordance with grace. Grace, borrowing from Jerry Bridges, is God's undeserved kindness shown to those who deserve his wrath. It is his unmerited favor granted to those who had no reason to expect anything but his condemnation. So there is a perfect harmony between faith and grace in the way God designed his plan to rescue sinners. Faith fits with grace the way a key fits into a lock. So there's only one key for my office door. And quite frankly, I don't even know where it is right now. So kids, don't mess with my door. Because we'll have to call a locksmith, all right? I got exactly one key that opens it, and I don't know where it is. So you could try all kinds of other keys, but none of them is going to work. Exactly one key will open that door. And you could try all kinds of other ways to be accepted by God. You could try human works. You could try religious ceremonies. You could try keeping the law. You could try all kinds of other things. But only one way will work. Namely, God's free grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus himself says that. Peter says that in Acts 4.12. No other way but Jesus. Second reason it is by faith is that this is the only way to guarantee the promise. So go back to verse 16 again. For this reason is by faith. Reason one, in order that it may be accordance with grace. Here's another reason. So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So how can we be sure that we will inherit the promises made to Abraham? How can we be certain that we will enjoy the blessedness of sins forgiven and acceptance with God? Which is the blessing, verse 9 is talking about, verses 6 through 8. How can we have a solid assurance that we will experience everlasting joy in the presence of God in heaven. And some say you can't know. I remember a conversation with my mom one time, as I did often on when I'd take her to the airport in Omaha, try to have a spiritual conversation. And one time 
I asked her the question I always ask her, so how would you describe your relationship with God? And she said, I hope what I've done is good enough for God. I hope what I've done is good enough for God. And so I asked her, how would you know if it was enough? I'm not trying to be snarky, just think about that answer. How would you know? And her answer, very sadly, was, no one can know that. And she's right if a relationship with God is based on our performance. We never could know if it was enough, right? If it is up to us at all, even if we say God does 99%, but it's up to me to supply that missing 1%, there's no way to have any assurance. If it is conditional on us doing anything, we can't be sure we're going to make it, and I'd actually go so far as to say, you aren't going to make it, and I'm not going to make it. Nobody makes it if it's dependent on human anything. That is a dead-end street. It is impossible. Nobody gets to God by doing enough, anything. But if we look away from ourselves and look to Jesus, if we reject our own works and rely on his work, then the promise of blessedness both now and forever is guaranteed. Because Jesus did enough. His sacrifice was all sufficient. He said it's finished. So that's the choice. Me try to make it happen, fail, or trust Jesus did it, he succeeded perfectly, and therefore I can have assurance. And so as we close, sorry. Do you know you are accepted by God and will be welcomed into his heaven? If you're not sure, acknowledge I have no right to think that I would be eligible to stand in God's presence. I'm a sinner who has disobeyed and dishonored God in thought, word, and deed. This is what Psalm 14 says. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is any who understand, any who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. No exceptions. All corrupt. No one who does good. So we've got a problem. So I want to turn away from being content with sin and turn away from any form of self 
reliance. Good things I've done, bad things I haven't done, any religious ceremonies or activities I've participated in. Just turn away from all of that. It's what Romans 10 says. We'll get to that someday. Romans 10. Verse 3 and 4. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So there's, again, two ways to approach God. I'm going to do this by keeping the law, and I'm going to miss it. Or I'm going to trust in Jesus because he kept the law perfectly, and therefore, I'll be accepted by God based on Christ, not based on me. And so I trust Christ alone to do everything necessary to forgive sin and provide a perfect righteousness to be accepted by God. Listen to Acts 13. This is Paul preaching. In verse 28, he says, Speaking of Jesus, they found no ground for putting him to death. They asked Pilate that he be executed. When they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Down in verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed, literally justified from all things from which you could not be freed or justified through the law of Moses. So put all your hope, all your trust in Christ. And for those who are trusting in Christ this morning, what a blessing that God our Father wants his children to enjoy assurance. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to be guess, we don't have to cross our fingers and be like, I hope I make it, hope I make it. He designed salvation to be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to guarantee his great and precious promises. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, For as many as are the promises of God, like he who believes will be saved. Whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. As many as those promises of God might be in him, Jesus, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge, or ESV has, as a guarantee. So there it is. A guarantee from God himself that those who believe in Christ inherit all these promises of forgiveness and eternal life because God himself is behind it. So let's pray together. So Father, thank you that you designed the way to you, the way back to you, to be all about Christ and not about us. Thank you that he did everything. 
You don't need any help from us. There's nothing we could give to make what Christ did any better. And so I pray for anyone who's still depending on their own anything to be right with you that they would just cast that away and put all their trust in Christ. And those who have by your grace trusted Jesus, we just say thank you again for rescuing us and guaranteeing that we'll make it all the way home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.